Uh, we're going to continue. This is a second in a series of four that we're going to talk about who Jesus claims that he is. He says several times, in fact, he says seven times in the book of John, the Gospel of John, he says, I am, and then he gives a description of who he is. Now, some, you'll, if you'll read through, and I really want you to read through the Gospel of John uh, this next week, and find out the seven statements he makes. Because one time he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, I find that to be awesome. Because he is the way to live. Okay? He's the truth about everything that he talks about. He is the truth. And he is the life. He shows us how to live life now. And he gives us a glimpse. And he shows us how to achieve eternal life. Okay? So he's the way, the truth, and the life. He also says uh, that I'm the gate. Okay? I'm the gate or the door. And he says... If you want to enter into true spiritual life, he is the way, okay? And so he opens that door. He is the door through which we go to achieve eternal life, to achieve true spiritual uh, life. He also says, I'm the bread. In fact, you'll find Jesus say elsewhere, he'll say, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And so therefore, you'll find that he not only delivers the how-to, but he gives just the substance as well on how to live uh, a good life. Today we're going to talk about uh, the Good Shepherd, but he also says, I am the resurrection. We talked about that last week, right? Uh, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And so we talked about that last week. Uh, next week we're going to talk about, I am the light of the world. Okay? He's the light of the world. He shines his light and shows how to live. He shows the dangers of the world. He shows the, the, the things to stay away from. He is the light that shines in a dark, dark place. He also said that he's the vine. And we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. Okay, if you're plugged into the vine, you're going to produce good fruit. And we want to make sure that we're producing good fruit by being plugged into the correct vine. And so we're going to talk about that in the, uh, the following week. But in John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus says this. I am the good shepherd. I want you to circle the word good. Okay, because what does good imply? It implies that there might be a bad shepherd out there too, right? Okay, there's a good shepherd. There could be a bad shepherd. And he, what does the good shepherd do? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Have you ever run across a sheep that you would die for? <laughs> We're going to talk about sheep. And, and in this illustration, who's the good shepherd? Okay, in this metaphor, who's the good shepherd? Jesus. Jesus, Jesus is the good shepherd because he says, I am the good shepherd, right? Who are the sheep? That's us. The followers of Jesus Christ are the sheep. So I want you to look to the person next to you, and I want you to say, okay, I know, I know. Some of, you, some of you just acted like sheep, okay? And I'm going to show that here in a minute. How many of you bad? No, okay, several of you. Several of you, but most of you did not, right? I've got a point just for you. Okay, it's coming up. Okay, John chapter 10, verse 1. Uh, Jesus sets this whole thing up. And he says this, I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. Now, we have an adversary, right? We know him as the devil. Okay, we know him as the devil. And what is he trying to do? He's trying to sneak over and take the sheep, right? And how does he do that? He gives you false ideas of what the truth is. He gives you false ideas of what you could become. He gives you false ideas of what you could get away with. And he gives you all these false ideas. But what does Jesus say earlier? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so therefore, he sneaks over the fence, and he tries to steal the sheep away. But what does he label him? A thief and a robber. 
Now notice in John chapter 10, verse number 10, what's the thief's purpose? The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. Now he contrasts that with the the motives of the good shepherd. What's a good shepherd do? My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Life as it was intended to be, what we might refer to as the abundant life. And so therefore, the good shepherd wants you to have life as it was intended to be. Life like God created it to be. What does the thief want to do? He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. Now he is not your friend, right? He is not your friend, but he will appear like your friend. And he will say different things to your mind, and he'll give you opportunities to do dumb stuff. Anybody here ever done something dumb today? Okay, okay. Coming here was not dumb, okay? I don't, don't mean to imply that. But now, let's take a little look at sheep. Now, you know my story about sheep, right? Sheep are not the brightest animals in the world. In fact, they are pretty dumb. How do you know they're dumb? You never see them in the circus. You never see them in the circus because they cannot be taught to do tricks. However, this last week I learned that they can be taught one thing. They can learn, you can teach a sheep to play dead. You have to shoot it, and it only works one time. But, you know. Boy, if you didn't like that one, you're not going to like the rest of this sermon either. I tell you that. Okay? But they're not. Now, they're mentioned about 200 times, okay, in the Bible. More than any other animal in the Bible. Sheep are mentioned 200 times. Now, it's kind of interesting because dogs are mentioned 44 times. 44 times. Dogs. How many times are cats mentioned? Everybody shake your head. They're not. You know why they are not? Because they come from the cat family. And, the, and what else is in part of the cat family? Lions. Lions. Okay. Now, now, lions. Lions are mentioned in the Bible, though, right? And what do we know? You have an adversary out there, the, the, the devil, and he seeks about like a roaring lion. See the connection between lion, cats and the devil? I don't know. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Okay. Now. Sorry to all of you cat fans. I am so sorry that that's the truth. Um, but here, let's, let's take a look at ourselves, though, and not, not mess with cats. Okay, four challenges of being a sheep. You have them right there on your outline there. Number one, sheep get lost easily. Did you know that? Sheep get lost easily. In fact, they wander off. They wander off, and they get lost, and they get out there, and they get stuck, and they get just all messed up. It says in Isaiah chapter 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. All we like sheep have gone astray. And let's, let's all remember what our roots are. Our roots are sheep. Okay, so we wander away. We kind of wander away from the spiritual things of God, don't we? We get out there and we get lost. We get, and, and what is our adversary's, what's his modus operandi? He wants to separate you from the sheepfold so he can what? Devour you. He wants to have you for lunch. And so therefore, we find that sheep get lost easily. Hey, number two, sheep are defenseless. Did you know most other animals, they have defenses? Some animals have horns. Some animals are very fast. Some animals blend in with the, with the natural surroundings. Some animals have sharp teeth. Some have venom. And they have defensive mechanisms. Think about a sheep. A sheep has absolutely no, no defensive mechanisms. They have no defense. A lot of animals have fangs. They have claws. They have wings. They have... All kinds of stuff. You know what the only defensive thing that the sheep has? 
the ability to say, back off. <laughs> hey, hey, I will be here next week. You can come back and get some more of this. Okay, number three. Sheep are very stubborn. Did you know they never back up? In fact, it is said that, that sheep, when they go through a narrow passageway, like in a canyon, if they get, they get a couple of sheep wedged in there, the rest of them just pile up, pile up, pile up, pile up. They have no reverse. They can't back up. They can't back up. And so they get stuck in there. They're very, very stubborn. Okay? Anybody here? I want, I want you to look to the person next to you and say, I think he's talking about you. <laughs> don't, don't do that. Okay? Number four. Number four. Sheep are filthy. They are dirty animals. You say, oh, man, I see sheep all the time on TV. In fact, they have a sleep train commercial that shows this lady <laughs> counting sheep, and they're all perfectly white. No, those guys have been power washed. But the truth is that sheep are very, very dirty. They never get washed. They don't clean themselves. Many animals clean themselves. You know, you ever see a cat? You know, they lick themselves and do all that stuff. And we think, oh, they're very clean. That's what we think. I'm just going to, nah, I'm not going to say that. I'm not, I'm not going to tell, okay, I'm not going to say anything about it. Okay, they will not, and the sheep will not, and they cannot clean themselves. In fact, they get so woolly sometimes that animals burrow in there. It's insects and stuff, they live inside that. In fact, sometimes flies will fly up their nose. Now, I know, nobody's going to eat mutton after this. Uh, but they fly up their nose, and they lay larvae in there. And pretty soon, instead of coming out their nose, they go back up into their brain. And you will see sheep actually banging their heads against trees and stuff uh, until they kill themselves. And it's really a sad situation, but they are just kind of dirty animals. Now, what do sheep need? They need a shepherd. They need a shepherd because they can't do much for themselves. They cannot do much for themselves. And so let's all take a look at ourselves and realize there's not a lot spiritually that we can do for ourselves. We can't solve our own problems. So what do we need? We need Jesus because he says he is the good shepherd. Okay, now, what does the good shepherd do? Now, we know what the sheep do. We know what characterizes sheep, and that's us. But let's take a look at what the good shepherd does. Number one, he guides. Okay, he guides or leads. Notice in Psalm 23, 3, it says this in the third verse of the 23rd Psalm, which many of you know. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. He guides me along the right paths. He is a guide. He's the one who leads me. In John chapter 10, verses 3 and 4, it says this. The gatekeeper and the shepherd opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice. Okay. Now, the gatekeeper was a different guy. Now, what would happen is they'd have a big sheepfold, and several shepherds at night would bring their sheep to this sheepfold. It was usually had maybe some rocks behind it, a little fence in front of it, and a gate. And what they would do is bring their sheep in there so that they could sleep, so that the, sheep, the, the tender of the sheepfold could kind of keep watch of things and make sure wolves didn't sneak in and that kind of stuff. They would get some sleep. In the morning, they would take their sheep out because sheep will not eat or get water on their own. Okay, they have to be led out. And so he would come out there, and he would, he would actually call his name out or call his sheep by whatever he called them. Sometimes they would whistle, and the sheep would recognize their particular whistle. And the sheep from his sheepfold would come out. Boop. The next guy would come along, and he would give his whistle, and they would. Boop. his guys would come out. And then the third guy would come, and he'd take what's left over. 
thinking that maybe I got a couple extra sheep. But no, they knew the shepherd's voice. They knew the shepherd's voice. Okay, so the gatekeeper uh, opens the gate for the shepherd, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him. Why? Because they know his voice. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever been in a significant relationship. I am in a significant relationship right now and a fully committed, significant relationship uh, with a young woman. And uh, <laughs> my wife of almost 50 years. Yeah, pretty cool, huh? And so, you know what? When I go into a crowded room, and there's a bunch of women in there, and what do you hear when you go into a crowded room of women? You hear a lot of voices, don't you? You hear voices. But when I go into a crowded room, I can pick out Cindy's voice. I know right where she is. In fact, if she just laughs, I was kind of hoping she would laugh there, uh, but uh, she didn't get the cue. Uh, but somebody over here laughed. Was it you, Jenny? Yeah, that wasn't Cindy. And uh, I recognize it. But I can hear her laugh. In fact, I know her well enough that if I hear her walking across this floor here, I know it's her walk. You know why I know that? Because I've been with her for over 45 years. I know stuff. I can go into a store and I can hear her cough. And I know it's her cough because I've been around her and I know her noises. <laughs> I can, now, you get 50 men in a room. And what do you hear when 50 men are in a room? You hear ESPN. Okay. They don't talk. Okay, but women, you can pick them out. Now, many of you might not be able to pick out Cindy's voice in a crowd because you haven't done two things. Number one, you haven't been around her enough. And number two, you don't know her. Okay, you don't know her and you haven't been around her. Okay, but if you do know her and you have been around her, you'd be able to pick out, oh, that's Cindy. You know, I hear her voice. I know what she is. Now, when it comes to hearing the good shepherd, many people would say, man, I don't know. I don't, you know, does he speak to you audibly? Do you know? And I'm going to say this. How do you hear the voice of Jesus most often? Just give me, give it a shot. How do you hear it most often? In the... Bible. Yeah. You hear his voice in the Bible. You hear God's voice in the Bible. If you read the Bible enough and you hear, get, you're walking down the street and you get a prompting that, that says, hey, go over there and help that guy with the flat tire. You go, oh, that sounds like something God would say. Sounds like what Jesus would want me to do. Sounds like his voice. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for it. But if we don't hear his voice enough, if we don't know what's valuable to God, we don't know what's first and most important in his mind, then we might not know the heart of God and therefore we will not hear the voice of God. So there's two things you have to do. Number one, you have to be around him a lot. Okay, you have to be around him a lot. And we get around him a lot when we come to church. We get around him a lot when we're with fellow believers. We're around him a lot when we read the word. We're around him a lot when we pray to him and listen for him. I dare say that most of our prayer life is spent talking to God and very little of our prayer life is spent listening to him. And so I want you to listen to him. I want you to pray to him and say, God, I want you to reveal something to me today. I'm going to open your word and I'm going to just listen to what you have to say. And then just go about your day and see if there's not some point in your day where you say, you know what? That sounds like what God would want me to do. Would God want you to let somebody go ahead of you in line? Sounds like something that God will want you to do. Would God want you to buy somebody lunch? 
Sounds like something God would want you to do if he's provided the resources for that. Would God want you to say a kind word to someone? Yeah, it sounds like something. Would he want you to stand in line and do nothing? Probably not. You know, that doesn't sound like what God would want you to do. Does God want you to be safe? God wants you to be courageous. Sometimes we categorize things as safe, and so therefore we don't do anything. There's safety in doing nothing, isn't there? If I do nothing, nothing changes. But if I do nothing, nothing changes. So therefore, God will want you to do something. Okay? So if you don't know his voice, it's because you haven't spent much time with him and you haven't heard him enough. Now, I remember one time I was, I was uh, a pastor of another church and a young man came to our church and he introduced himself and, and uh, I met him. In fact, it was one of those churches where you stood at the back when everybody left and you shook everybody's hand and they always said, nice sermon, Pastor Mike, nice sermon, Pastor Mike, nice sermon, Pastor Mike. And I always wanted to say, what'd you learn? You know, but I thought I might put somebody on the spot. But anyway, uh, so therefore, I was standing there, and he walked out, and I said, hi, I don't know you. He says, oh, my name's Jeremy. I said, hey, good to meet you. Next Sunday, I came into the service, and there was Jeremy. I walked by where he was sitting. I said, hey, Jeremy, good to see you again. And he was so overwhelmed that I would remember his name. He was so overwhelmed that he joined the church. (laughs) Gee, just remembering a guy's name, you know, made him feel welcome enough to come to join the church. And I thought, you know, there's something about the shepherd knowing your name that makes you feel included. Okay? Therefore, he guides me. Okay, I want you to say it together with me. He guides me. Okay. <laughs> you didn't do very good there. Because we're, we're, we're getting, oh, hey, did I tell you that, that sheep are very stubborn? <laughs> did I tell you that? Hey, remember when I told you to look to your neighbor and say, and none of you did it? That's because you're kind of stubborn. Right now, I said, repeat this, and very few of you did. You're, so you're acting like sheep, which is what you are. And so wear it proudly. <laughs> okay, number two, he provides. Psalm 23, verses 1 through 3 says this. The Lord is my shepherd. I what? Lack nothing. How many of you lack stuff today? You know, you'd like to have a little more. You'd like to have something different. You'd like to, you know, you feel like you're lacking something. There's something not quite there. Well, if Jesus is your good shepherd, if the Lord, the God of the universe is your shepherd, you lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Did you know that then in order to lay down in green pastures, sheep need three things. You know, when you drive by sheep, in fact, there's some out there on Doby Avenue, Doby Drive, whatever it is out there by uh, Golden West School. There used to be some sheep out there. And I never saw them laying down. Never. You know, sheep never, you, typically you don't see sheep, but when you do see sheep, you typically don't see them laying down. Three things need to happen for sheep to lay down. Number one, they need to be well fed. Okay, they need to be full. Otherwise, they're going to be standing up eating. Okay, number two, they need to be well watered. You know what's wrong with watering sheep? If the water is rough, like if it's a river and it's rough and it's kind of foamy and stuff, they won't go near it. They are smart enough to realize that they are nothing but a big sponge. And if they fall into that water, they are going to soak it up and they are going to die. So they have some fear of water, you know, rushing water. They have to be led beside what? Quiet water so that they can go down and drink. And the third thing they need is safety. Did you know a lot of sheep don't get along with each other? I'm just saying. How many of you have ever avoided a family reunion because 
the family was going to be there. You know, I always, I always think that family reunions are those things that we gather the family from the four corners of the earth to be reminded why we moved to the four corners of the earth. You know, so uh, sometimes that's a difficult thing, okay? And so sheep don't always get along with each other. And so the shepherd has to come in and break up fights. Shepherd has to come in and take care of them, make sure that they're well-fed, well-watered, safe, make sure that there's no wolves around. And we're going to find out that he has a couple of tools that he uses in order to accomplish that. So he makes me lie down in green pastures. It also says, he leads me beside quiet waters. Okay, they won't drink from the rushing water. And then what is the end result of that? He refreshes or restores my soul. Ah, I have peace on the inside. When I'm well fed, when I'm well watered, and when I'm safe, we will have what? Our souls restored because we're in the presence of the God of the universe. Okay, number three, this is what the good shepherd does. He corrects, okay? Job chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. I think this is Eliphaz, one of, one of Job's so-called friends that comes and sits down with him. Now, you know the story of Job? Job was a guy that was very wealthy, and he had all kinds of kids and family and, and animals and, and all kinds of agricultural stuff, and he was very wealthy. And one day, uh, these guys start coming to him. Oh, man, your crops have burned up. Oh, man, your animals are dead. Oh, man, your kids died. You know, they've died at this party, you know, and he has, he has nothing left. So he goes and he mourns and he sits down in the dirt, puts on sackcloth, ashes on his head and everything. And he's sitting there and his friends come. He's got three friends that show up. And so his three friends show up and they sit down in the dirt with him. For seven days, they don't say a word. They just sit with him because he's mourning. And then they start talking to him and they start telling him, well, you know, if you had really been the man of God that you profess to be, you know, and if you had not sinned, if you had not done wrong, none of this bad stuff would have happened. And, and he beats his head against, well, he can't, I can't figure out what I did wrong. can't figure out what he did wrong. Well, we get a little glimpse into Job's life at the beginning of the story. And at the beginning of the story, our adversary, the devil, who seeks to prowl around like a roaring lion and seeking someone to devour... He goes up to heaven. You know, the devil's in heaven, and he's kind of cruising around, and God says to him, hey, what are you doing up here? So I'm just cruising around. You know, I've been roaming the earth and stuff. And, uh, and he says, well, what do you find there? He says, well, you know, this guy Job, if you weren't protecting him, he would deny you. He would just say that my God is no good, you know, if you weren't protecting him. He says, okay, well, I'll quit protecting him. And to make a long story short, ultimately, he says, uh, you can do anything to him but take his life. You cannot take his life. So Job... Uh, the devil goes down there and wreaks havoc with all of Job's family, all of his livestock, all of his agriculture. And pretty soon Job's going, whoa, what happened here? And he never denies God. But one of his friends there tells him some truth here. He says this, blessed is the one whom God corrects. He says, Job, this is a good thing for you that God is correcting you. Now, on the surface, that's a true statement, right? We are blessed if God corrects us and doesn't let us keep going and running amok and doing bad stuff. Okay? So he says, so do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. Now, Eliphaz, his friend, misread this. He thought that Job was being punished because he had done wrong. The truth was that he had done right, and God said to Satan, you can test him all you want. He'll still do right. And so they kind of misread the whole thing, but nonetheless, he tells him what the truth is. He says, for wounds... Uh, for he wounds, but he also binds up. 
He injures, but his hands also heal. Now, that's a true statement. And I want you to grasp that. He wounds, but he also binds up. It's kind of like the shepherd. You know what the shepherd used to do? There used to be some little sheep that would run away, you know, because they would get lost, right? They would just wander off. They, they weren't really running away. They would just wander around and get lost. And, and the shepherd would do what? He would go and hunt that little lamb down. He says that's important. In fact, Jesus says that the good shepherd will go out, and if there's, nine, if there's 100 in the sheepfold and there's one that gets lost, he leaves the 99, goes out and finds that one lost sheep. And what he would do, legend tells us, is that he would take, he had a staff, and it was like a little Bo Peep staff. You have ever seen a little Bo Peep staff? It goes up and curves around like that. And he would take one of the hind legs of that little lamb, and he would put it in the, in the little loop of that, and he would twist it until the leg broke. Yeah, painful, huh? Yeah. But then, you got to see the rest of the story. He would take that little lamb and hoist him by his legs over his head and carry him until the leg healed. By the time the leg healed, there was such a bond between that little lamb and the shepherd that guess what? That lamb never ran away. Was it painful for the lamb to learn the lesson? Yeah. Have you ever learned a lesson that was painful? Yeah. But God holds us and he... he He does exactly uh, what Job's friend Eliphaz says. He wounds, but he also binds up. He lets us suffer the consequences of our wrong behavior. Then he hoists us over his head, and he carries us so that there's such a bond between us that we never falter again. You know, we don't repeat the same error again. And so, therefore, we see this. Now, he also had another implement, you know, and this, I don't know. I'm going to wait for that one. Okay, now. None of us look at discipline and say, yippee, right? Remember when you were a little kid, you know, or if you have little kids now, you know, you discipline them and they, they never say, oh, thank you for doing that. Oh, I'm, I'm so happy that you're disciplining me. Man, could you spank me a little more? Uh, we don't, uh, I take that back. We don't spank anymore. Uh, could you take my cell phone away too, you know, and, and restrict me from watching TV? You know, I don't want to watch TV uh, because, oh, gee, this discipline is so good. Nobody says that. We don't say it either when we get injured, when we get disciplined by God. We don't say, oh, sign me up for more. But at the end of it, we realize the true love of God, the true love of the shepherd, and we stay much more connected to him than we did before. Okay? Now, none of us likes that. In Hebrews 12, 11, it talks about discipline. And it talks about discipline being unpleasant. And he says this, in, in the writer of Hebrews says this, no discipline seems pleasant at the time. You know, that's true, right? No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Now, I want you to know that if you're raising a family or if you're involved in discipline anywhere, discipline is not punishment. Discipline is not punishment. Discipline is training in order to do correctly. Okay, Training in order to do correctly. When God uh, disciplines us, he's not punishing us for doing wrong. Okay, But he's training us so that we can do things correctly. Okay? It may seem harsh at the time, and the writer of Hebrews says it. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Now, it will be painful, but it's so that we train to do things right. Okay, Now, Anybody here play tennis? Okay, I remember I used to play tennis uh, back in the day when I could move around. 
And, and I took lessons from this guy. And he says, okay, I'm going to just hit the ball to you, and you're going to hit a forehand. You're going to hit a forehand cross court. You're going to hit a forehand down the line. You're going to hit a forehand cross court. You're going to hit a forehand down the line. And I'm just going to do this for 30 minutes. And I thought, I just want to play tennis. I want to win. I want to score. And he says, no, you've got to learn to discipline yourself so that when the ball comes to this area of the court, you're going to hit a forehand. And you're not going to have to think about it. You're not going to have to, and, and he didn't say this, but I'm going to tell you, you don't have to pray about it. You just know spiritually and instinctively this is the right thing to do. And that's what discipline teaches us, is to do the right thing without having to think about it, without having to pray about it. I just know this is the right thing to do. If you're tempted to tell uh, something that is untrue, hey, oh, we just did our taxes, didn't we? I hope that your discipline in the truth produced a proper return, okay? Produced a proper return, because that's what discipline is. When you're tempted to do something wrong, overstate your income, understate your expenses, or, or vice versa, whatever you think is going to benefit you, um, then you, you default back to your training in righteousness, okay? Training in righteousness, do the right thing every time, because eventually... It will produce a harvest of righteousness. You'll be able to go to bed at night and sleep. You'll go, ah. You know, did you know a good night's sleep is a harvest of righteousness? You know, a good night's sleep, being able to sleep with a clear conscience, being able to face anybody and know you have no skeletons in your closet. If you do have skeletons in your closet, knowing that you have the ability to face them and to deal with them correctly. So training in righteousness produces a harvest of righteousness, and it gives you peace for all who have been trained by it. Okay, number four. This is the fourth thing that the, the good shepherd does, and that is that he protects. He protects. Remember he had the staff, the shepherd had the staff. He also had a thing called the rod. In fact, we'll find here in Psalm 23, verses 4 through 6. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, okay, many of you know that as the valley of the shadow of death, okay, even though I walk through that, I fear no evil, because Why? He knows that the good shepherd is with him. He says, your rod and your staff bring me comfort. Okay? They bring me comfort. Now, rod was a thing that the shepherd used to, like, like hit the wolves. You know, if a wolf would come by, had this big rod, and he would just whack it. You know, it's kind of like a big baseball bat, and uh, he'd hit a home run with a wolf. And he would beat the wolves away. The staff was used to go down and rescue a lamb that had gone gone. Uh, missing. And sometimes they would get caught in a thicket and he'd use the crook of that staff and he'd pull them to safety. And so these two tools were vital and important to the protection of the sheep. The rod and the staff, they comfort me because I know that I'm going to be well protected. I'm going to be well cared for because my good shepherd has these tools. You prepare before me in the presence of, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Okay. Now, you know, uh, this was written by David, who later became the king of Israel. One of, the, one of the things the king of Israel did was he led the troops out in battle. His goal was to lead them out in battle and bring them safely home again. Now, one of the things, if you know much about the history of Israel, is that they would go out into battle, and they would go out into very arid places. There wasn't a lot of, you know, it's not like they went out into a uh, peach grove or something like that, and they could take some peaches and eat it. They went out into an arid land where there was no food. And so they had to take their supplies with them. And what he's saying is, man, when I go out into battle, you know, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You're going to provide food and water for me. I know that full well. 
And so therefore he says that. And then he says, you anoint my head with oil. Now, what, the anointing of oil was reserved for the king of Israel. And the prophet would come when he was going to kind of coronate him as king. And the coronation process would be, he would anoint his head with oil, which signified he was now part of the royal family. In fact, he was the royal family. And so when we read this and we recognize that Jesus, you know, and ultimately this comes down to Jesus, the good shepherd anoints our heads with oil. He says, you're part of the royal family. You're part of my kingdom. You're part of my family. And there's no one more royal than the God of the universe. You're part of that family. And so he notes our heads with oil. And then he says, my cup overflows. Finally, he concludes in verse six, and he says, surely goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Leave the 99, go rescue the one. I don't know about you, but I've felt the rescue of God before in my life. And I, you know, it wasn't in, oh, he rescued all of us. No, he rescued me. He rescued me from my own sinfulness, my own junk, my own stuff. It says in Luke 15, verses 4 through 6, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? The answer should be, yeah. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Oh, man, nothing better than that. Nothing better than Jesus coming and finding you. Did you know he knows your name? Do you know he knows the exact circumstances of your life? He's going to come out. He's going to find you. He's going to find you. He's going to put you on his shoulders. He's going to lead you home. And he's going to say, Woohoo, I found him. This kid was taking a, a, a class in drama. And uh, he got, kind of got assigned to this class. He didn't really want it, but that was the only thing that fit his schedule. And so he's taking a drama class. And the teacher gets up one day and he takes his uh, script. And his script is the 23rd Psalm. And the teacher gets up and he just says, okay, we're going to do dramatic readings today. And uh, I'm going to show you how it's done. And this teacher got up there and he read the 23rd Psalm. I mean, eloquently. His students were moved. They were enraptured by his presentation. He did so well that at the end of it, they just stood up, their eyes were huge, the smiles were broad, and they just applauded like crazy on their feet, giving the teacher a standing ovation because of the excellent job he had done in interpreting dramatically the 23rd Psalm. And they thought to themselves, I have never seen anything like this. This is the most incredible thing in the world. And so the teacher took the script and he looked at a young man on the front row and he says, here, now it's your turn. And this kid is the kid that got assigned to this class because it's the only thing that fit his schedule. He had no interest in being in front of anybody doing anything. He might have gotten involved in a play if he could be in the background or on the set crew or whatever. But now he's going to be on the front of the class and the platform doing the 23rd Psalm. And man, he's scared to death. He gets up there with a quaking voice and he starts reading. Starts reading. Starts reading. And it's just real quiet. And barely anybody can hear him. And pretty soon, tears start running down his eyes, and everybody says, oh, man, he's going to crack. He's not going to make it. And he keeps reading. He keeps reading. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and their staff, they give me comfort. 
And he starts gaining this momentum. And his tears are running more profusely down his face because he recognizes the man that he's talking about. And he recognizes the good shepherd. And he's just going, man, that's true. This is true. He's a Christian young man. And he gets all the way to the end. And he says, and surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I mean, he's bawling. And there's silence in the classroom. And he goes, oh, man. So he puts his head down and he starts to walk down the steps of the platform and he looks out in the crowd and not a dry eye in the place. Everybody's bawling. They're crying. And the teacher gets up with tears in his eyes and says, I know the 23rd Psalm. He knows the shepherd. Big difference. Big difference. So today, I want you to know the shepherd. I want you to know the shepherd. You know why? Because we need a shepherd. We are nothing but sheep. We need a shepherd to show us the right way to go. We need someone to guide us, to lead us, to do the things that we cannot do for ourselves. We need someone to provide for us. Because when it comes to spiritual matters, we are poor provisioners. Okay? We don't provide for ourselves very well. We need somebody to provide for us the spiritual nurture. He corrects us. Not always do we make the best decisions in life, but we need somebody to say, hey, it can be better for you. It can be better for you. You can make better decisions. You can live a better life. I want you to be corrected. And then finally, he protects us. He keeps that adversary away from us. He has a rod, he has a staff, and he protects us. I want you to know that Savior. And so today, I'm going to ask you to bow with me. And today, it might be your day. I believe that God brings you to a place like this on purpose. I believe that you're not here by chance. It's not circumstantial. It's not necessarily because you wanted to. I hope you wanted to. But I think that God is behind the scenes steering you. And I hope you come to the recognition that you need a shepherd. As good as we are, as good as we think we are, we need a shepherd. And so I'm going to ask you today to ask Jesus to be your shepherd.